Hey, welcome to this edition of the show. Today we have Hillary Waters on the John Papaloni Show. I am super stoked, super excited to have you here today, especially from the industry that you're in. I think this is going to be so valuable and helpful to everybody watching or listening. And I'm going to allow you to introduce yourself and let us know who you are, what you do, and how you got there. Awesome. Thank you. I'm really excited to be here. Um, this is one of my uh, favorite subjects to talk about, um, finance and real estate and all the things. Uh, but I am Hillary Waters. I am creative director and co-owner of FMW Fab Lab. We are a design and fabrication company. Um, my co-founder is my husband, so we work full-time together. He's technical director and I'm on the creative side. And uh, we make things like reception desks and boardroom tables and really special architectural millwork. Um, we handle both design and fabrication, although we can do only one or the other if we have a customer that wants that. But it's really creative work. Um, not a lot of standardization. We're doing something new and different every day, which is a challenge and, uh, and also just really fun. See, that's kind of funny, right? Cause when I uh, looked on your website and stuff, I saw the uh, Ford and then I, I saw McCoy and I stopped at that. It didn't click in that there was a third name there. Yep. So then when you said it was your husband, I'm going, why do you guys have different last names? And I realized you don't, I didn't read it. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, he's got like one of those really regal. He's a third. Ford McCoy Waters the third. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that is hilarious, right? So yeah. So sometimes you uh it's amazing how certain things you don't pick up, right? And, yeah. you, and you think you picked up everything, right? So that's awesome. So how did you get into this business? Like why? Right? There's gotta be a why there. Yeah, for sure. I mean, I was an interior designer, commercial interior designer specifically for almost 20 years. I had my degree in that um, and I was just destined always to be in the design field. And that's a whole other story. But after being in that industry for um, for that long, my husband was kind of going through a career change of his own. And he had a um, an equally long history in the metalworking industry. He'd done a bazillion other things, gotten four degrees, but he kind of always came back to metalworking and he ended up starting his own fabrication studio. And after a few years um, of it growing, he needed somebody to come and actually like run the business part of it. And also um, to help with integrating his work into the design industry here. We're in Texas in Houston, Texas, but, um, and at the time we were only doing work here. We do work all over the place now, but, uh, anyway, I, I was kind of at a point in my career where I was ready for something different and, um, I'm super independent and running, helping to run that business seemed really fun and like a good change. And, um, and so I jumped right in. Fantastic. Yeah. Like a lot of people, uh, you know, they tend to focus on uh, residential, Mm -hmm. So, right. When you went commercial, that was kind of that, that's unique in itself. And, uh, yeah. I like that. Like, so, uh, like obviously when you were into interior design, you had some commercial in there as well, but I'm not a commercial residential, but, uh, you chose to focus commercial. So what was behind that? Yeah. Uh, well, actually I never did residential. My degree, I went to LSU and it's really a commercially focused program. So I was trained from college for commercial and, um, and I just always loved that. I loved the idea of building brands for people and, um, and like the, the team aspect of, you know, lots of people coming together to create this really special space and it, it impacts a lot more people. Although I love residential, um, for different reasons. But when you're doing commercial work, it impacts so many people at once. You know, lots of people are using that space. And I'm a big believer in design, creating um, 
how you feel and how you interact and how you communicate and, and all those sorts of things. So for me, commercial was just a natural fit. Um, and when I moved over to help run this business, that's what I brought with me. Uh, up until that point, um, Ford had really been focusing on residential himself because his background was residential. Um, but when I came in and started doing new business development and, and my relationships and all of that are in commercial. So it was just a natural fit. Ah, I got you. See, there we go. All right. Mm -hmm. Now that makes sense. Right. So it, it's more like you want to help more, more than one person at a time. So yeah. I get that part. Uh, that, that, that is very interesting. Uh, again, like I said, most times I encounter people and right away, and to be honest, I'm one of the uh, guinea pigs I'm talking about where I get into real estate. What do I want to do? Houses. Why? Just cause it's easy to understand. Yeah. That's my reason. Yep. And that's, a, <laughs> that's a good reason. <laughs> yeah. Some things in life should be easy. Yeah, uh, absolutely. Right. Look, I mean, this is when I went to like, look, when we went to school to get my license, they teach you the commercial side as well. So it's not like I'm in the dark and I like I picked one. I'm like blinders on. I don't know anything about it. Yeah. No, I understand the concept. I, I just don't agree with it. And here's yeah. what I mean by that. Well, take a Starbucks. You take a Starbucks, you divide it, put in two bedrooms, two bathrooms, and just say that that place is going to be worth a million bucks. Okay. Now, all of a sudden, you take out the bedrooms, you put in a counter, you put in a kitchen, you put in, uh, you know, all tables and uh, Wi-Fi internet for everybody to use their computer in. And all of a sudden, that building's five million bucks. Mm -hmm. And I'm like going, it's the same damn space. Yeah. Right. Like, <laughs> I, you know, like to me, like that, that it seems absurd. Right. Yeah. Like, and I know the reality is it's cap rates and, and, and ability to generate. And there's no ability to generate in a home other than regular appreciation, which is right. done by comparison. But to me, that was boggling my mind to the point that I would ask questions in class and I would just, I would just go in head spins. And I just said, I'm never doing this. Never way. No way. No thanks. Yeah. <laughs> right. So that again, makes personal sense. preference. Yeah, it makes complete sense. I've, I've bought and sold both residential land and commercial properties. And for sure, the commercial it was the last one. It's our most recent purchase and sell. So different. So different. Um, and yeah. very and very tricky. You're absolutely right about that. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So anyways, I mean, with that being said, I mean, every industry has like whether you go residential, commercial, they have their own challenges, which is going to lead up to the next question. What was your biggest challenge throughout this whole conversion from, you know, working with your uh, yourself to working with your husband? Oh, wow. Gosh, man, so many. <laughs> <laughs> so many. I mean, we're 10 years into this company and I still feel um, like we are learning different stuff every day because the market changes. Right. And I think so. The business part of it is definitely really, really challenging. Um, my my training and Ford's training were not in running businesses. They were in design and fabrication and like making stuff. Um so it took us a couple of years, I think, to really define our roles. And that's been pretty important for being able to work together um, so that we don't step on each other's toes constantly. Um, and also to really, really act like coworkers during the day, like with the same kind of respect and um, consideration and courtesy that you would with any coworker. So we truly have a different relationship outside of work than in. And I do think that because we do, I mean, we really do have 
a really good working relationship too. And it is part because the foundation was there to begin with. Um, but still, you really, um, if you're going to go to work with your spouse, I recommend being very defined in your roles and making sure that um, you're not stepping on each other's toes constantly. And, you know, like, don't take, don't take the nights before dirty dishes into the next day. Yeah, that was going to be my other question there, right? Like, what happens when you have tension at work? Does it come out? Does it come home and vice versa? Yeah, I mean, for sure, sometimes like there's a I'm not going to pretend that it doesn't. But most of the time, I'd say foundationally, no, we've been able to not. And, I, and it boils down to like that tension, not getting ugly. I think um, if you're really ugly to somebody, whether it's on work time or personal time, that's probably coming with you the next day. <laughs> but we make a practice to not be that way like the a discussion can be a discussion it doesn't need to be ugly we can disagree we can be on opposite sides and we are i mean we're very very different people so we're on opposite sides of the coin all the time but it's not ever ugly and that allows us to go like from 5 30 when everyone leaves for the day to being spouses and saying hey you want to go out to dinner tonight and being able to sit down and like have that whole pleasant uh relationship as opposed to, <sighs> I don't see this person for another how many hours, you know? Um, but it's, it's not a perfect science for sure. I think the key is just repair, repair, repair. That's it's a motto for all relationships, quite frankly. You should always be in repair mode, like always looking to how you can repair any rifts that you have. Um, and we, see, we, we do therapy as well, um, together and separately, so that we can save some of our bigger um, disagreements we save it for that room because there's a mediator and and that's really helpful right which makes sense i get that part so and i and i get it right like this is something i've noticed myself and i'm not you know just gonna run it by you see if you noticed it i noticed that since uh covid came around it's uh there's a lot more angry people out there right mm -hmm. it's not uh things aren't just as black and white as they used to be like where you know Sometimes, you know, like I find people lash out a lot quicker, a lot more. Sometimes the little things trigger them more. And I'm starting to think that maybe that whole lockdown and that whole charade that we went through might have affected people a little bit more mentally than uh, anticipated. So I, I just my, my personal experiences from just watching it, people are there's more angry people than there used to be. And yeah. one thing I've noticed over time also is that people are forgetting how to communicate. Right. Mm -hmm. It's I can have opinion. You can have you can have another opinion. And that used to be all it was was an opinion. And you share opinions and you try to work out your opinions and find your differences. Where I find today that, oh, my God, you disagree with me. That's it. That's it. Can't talk to you anymore. End of the world. Yeah. Right. I, I don't know. Have you noticed this as well or is it just me? No, I think I think there's definitely some differences that came out of that for sure. Um And I also like, I think, you know, maybe it, maybe it started there. Um, but I, I personally have been a little bit more stressed this year than, um, than previous years, because, uh, and even during the lockdown time, um, although we had some projects going home, we were pretty lucky. We, we managed to, to get out unscathed this year has been particularly stressful because of, um, like the economy and finance has changed some things for a lot of our clients. And, 
So I can speak from a personal experience that I am a little easier, more easily triggered and I'm aware of it. And so I do some things for myself to make sure that I don't leak that stress onto other people in a, I don't take it out on them. That's actually a better word. I mean, people are going to feel my stress, uh, my, my husband, my, uh, my staff and things like that. But the behavior around is what I try to control personally. And so if I feel like I'm going to be easily triggered, I might just remove myself from a situation or, um, you know, like, um, I don't know. I'm just more careful with my health too, when I'm a little bit stressed. So I think that, I think that not everybody is maybe able to do that, like able to recognize I'm, I need more right now. Like I need more sleep. I need more love. I need more whatever. And it leaks out on the, you know, that fear leaks out and it comes out in really bad ways. And there's somebody, there's a quote out there that's like the people who need the most love ask for it in the worst ways. <laughs> They're behaving the worst. Yep. And, um, you know, and those are the people that need the most love and compassion. And so I think a lot of people really need more love, more support, more reassurance. Um, that fear is kind of eating them alive and making things polarized that don't really need to be. Uh, and they just don't know how to ask for it in other ways, um, which is unfortunate. And I think that with the focus on all on mental health a lot these days, hopefully that that something like that becomes more normalized where people are able to say, hey, I feel bad right now. And what you're saying scares me and it's triggering me and I need help. A reassurance that because we disagree doesn't mean that we can't be friends, you know? Yeah, exactly. See, what you're describing is what we need out there more of is empathy. Yeah. And, and I just think it's really difficult um, for people. I don't think everybody's, we all have different childhoods. We all grew up with different scenarios, being taught different things. Maybe some people's, we're living in more scarcity than others. And so fear is a real big driver. Um, and, and it's, it's a, ironically, fear is a scary driver. <laughs> yeah, for sure. For sure. Now, with that being said, right, like, so you're bringing up a good point. Like the last year has actually been the worst. Um, and, and that's a true point because when we went through a lockdown, what do people focus on? Renovations or yep. buying new places, expanding or contracting. It was all some, yeah, there was all some form of movement. And with that movement came opportunity. Yeah. And, but now with rising interest rates, rising costs mm -hmm. and lower income be as a result people are there's a lot more people hurting yeah. now they're refusing to call it a recession but i think for the last nine months it's been evident even though they're not calling it but that's been my opinion but that being said let's get back to the business point i was just pointing out the you know external factors that i think is affecting yeah. everybody and I, I think especially in the market we're both in so now with that being said, there must have been a certain point in time where you started the business. And like you said, everybody has fears. And when you're starting that business, that fear is high. I mean, I, I'm speaking that from personal experience and I'm assuming I'm not the only one who goes through that. Nope. So, <laughs> but there is a moment in time where we have what I call that aha moment where all the fear never goes away, but it subsides 
because you feel like you had some form of triumph, some form of moment where you realized, okay, I'm where I'm supposed to be. Yeah. And then you kind of learn to build forward. What was yeah. that aha moment for you? Oh, wow. Um, I mean, I still think, I think I have them a lot, actually. Even now, there, you know, there's always doubts that creep in. And I think, like, when I left my um, my full-time employment by someone else and came on board with Ford's company, we knew it was going to take a while for my position to start to um, show itself in revenue and and things like that. And when you're watching that cash flow dwindle because you've added somebody to the payroll and the return isn't showing up and you knew it's not going to like logically you knew you knew like this is what's going to happen for a while it's still so scary because i think everybody has this deep seat at least i did had this you know kind of like subconscious thing that i was going to beat the odds so to speak you know um and so i think one of my superpowers is patience and i'm willing to ride something out a lot longer i think than a lot of people that's not necessarily you know a judgment on other people you everybody has their own situation but for me speed is not something that um has always been a priority so i think like after waiting that out waiting out to the point when I could see my work paying off for the company. Um, that was when it was like, okay, breathe. This is going to work. You know, this is going to be fine. You can do this. Um, and every time I have one of those moments where I like have doubt in my head or I'm like, oh man, have, is this still working? Should we be doing this? Whatever. Um, I remind myself, you've come, you've overcome every single thing in life so far. Like the odds of the stats are in your favor, you know? Uh, you haven't just jumped and completely gone off the deep end yet. Um, and I, so I have those little kind of aha moments pretty frequently, I think, uh, in the grand scheme of things. Where in this year has been by far probably the hardest, even harder than when I started. And um, like I said, I think a lot of people would have felt a tremendous amount of discouragement by now. But I just have so much faith in uh, myself and in Ford's abilities to turn things around when they need to be turned around. And um, so, you know, those, uh, those moments where you're like, yes, this, I'm meant to be here. This is it. This is what I got to do. Um, they come pretty frequently. Which is awesome. And I guess that's the uh, motivation to keep going. Oh, yeah. That's that, yeah, that makes sense. So even in, in all businesses, we all have moments where uh, we complete a project. And that's all of a sudden the best project we've had. And we're so proud of it. Yeah. And I think the very first one is the one we remember the most. So my question to you is going to be, what was that memorable project to you where you felt so accomplished 
and it's almost like you want to hang a trophy on your wall or a picture of it to remind yourself of this was the thing. Oh, I know exactly which one it is because I still look at the photos all the time. Uh, we had a project in Dallas. We're in Houston, so it was our first um, out-of-town project. And it was just what dreams were made of for us at the time. It was a client who had the appropriate budget for a full-blown custom furniture solution in their living room. They had trust in us from a design standpoint. So it wasn't something where we were just trying, like, you know, somebody came to us and said with a photo of a, something and said, just remake this. It was more like, we want to see what you guys think we should do here. Um, so we got to really put our design skills out there um, in, a, in a beautiful way. And the execution was flawless on a level I really couldn't appreciate at the time. We've had plenty of not flawless ones since then where now I can go, wow, it was amazing that that just went so perfectly. But the, the process and the outcome were both equally incredible. Um, and it was, it was a, it was a lift, you know, a little wind beneath the wings for a really long time. And we still look at that picture and talk about it. Makes total sense. At the same time with triumphs come, uh, certain moments where we come across, uh, what we call difficult clients. Yes. And sometimes we get in a predicament where we have an idea and they have another idea. Now, in my situation, that moment is going to be different than yours because if my customer wants to go the different direction, it's not like I can turn around and say, hey, this is the house you're buying. Like it or not, you're buying this one too bad. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. right? So, but with yours, you're already dealing with them when they're in their spot and what you might do with it might change. Now, how do you deal with a, a difficult customer that's insistent that something's right and you know it's not going to work out? It's not going to be what they're expecting. Well, there's a few different ways. Um, most people who are working with us don't have a lot of familiarity um, with the genuine processes of um, welding or wood uh, carpentry, not framing carpentry, but like true um, finished carpentry. And so that kind of works in our favor a little bit when we can bring up opportunities to educate and I'll invite people over and say, Hey, um, we just want to make sure this is the route you want to go. Can you come see an example that we've done? You know, so we'll mock something up or, have them come over and look at a condition. It might not be the exact same thing, but it's enough. And then we can explain the processes behind it and why you might not do a 30 inch long full weld on something. Cause the heat distortion is going to create this and you're going to have this problem with that. Like it's physically chemically impossible. And um, so those kinds of things actually are really great. People actually get excited about, the education and understanding why something is or isn't an option. And then they're able to calmly, rationally pick between some other options. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, pure aesthetics 
um, when it's just like, oh, I don't think that's going to look that great there. Um, unless I'm asked, I don't really give that opinion because that's a super subjective thing. And relationships with the client are better, even if I don't necessarily agree with the aesthetic thing, um, if we leave those alone. Some things you just stay quiet about. <laughs> gotcha. Gotcha. That makes sense. I get that part. Uh, with that being said, we all have an avatar of who our perfect customer would be. Mm -hmm. Now, if I asked you to describe who's your perfect customer, who's your perfect target, what would that look like? Oh, I have two um, because we do actually do residential work as well. Um, we do pretty much only high end residential work uh, just because the cost of doing business and custom uh, is really tough at um, just kind of like mid range to lower price points. So we only do high end custom, but um I have a client who kind of fits my perfect scenario to the most point in that, in that realm. Um, and he's, uh, he's a corporate professional. He has a really great design sense, but he also just trusts immensely. And we've worked with him long enough. We worked with him on a couple of his commercial projects first. So that's how I actually got to know him. But, um, trusts our design guidance so much that he says, here's the space, here's the pieces I need, let's go. Um, and usually we settle on a budget super quickly. He's very clear. That's a, that's a, that's part of being a perfect client is clarity. Um, and trusting that even when he can't see a vision, he knows I can, and he'll go down that road with me. So on the residential side, I think that's that's kind of ideal. Actually, it's probably also the perfect scenario for commercial clients too. It's that we have a trust-based relationship um, where they know that we know our craft really well and we're gonna put things in front of them that are going to work and that we can execute beautifully and that it will also support their brands and who they are as a company. Um, so that trust and clarity, I think, is the two biggest things, really. If you have those two things, that everything else kind of works out. Yeah, I actually agree with you on that one. And I find that uh, it's not Facebook and Instagram that's getting people's loyalties there. What it is, is uh, relationships. And you, and you yeah. touched upon that, right? Because yeah. people want to deal with people they know, like, and trust. Yes. And that's what it Same. comes down to. Same. <laughs> yeah. I, I want to, too. <laughs> exactly. I, I, and that's the normal thing, right? So it's, and that's built, built through getting to understand each other, empathizing yeah. with each other, and getting to learn what triggers each other. Yeah. And that's not built just because you got a flyer or a like on a, or a like and share on uh, social media. That's built yeah. through time. That's built through getting to know someone and having that empathy. So uh, yeah. I love you how you brought the, brought that point up there. So now, with what I want to ask you is with office spaces pretty much crumbling because there's that tug of war now between those who want to work at home and I'm going to work at home or I'm going to quit and companies who are divided on the you know go ahead and quit because you want to work here you're coming back to the office versus right. the uh let's do a hybrid model where it's half and half and then we can shrink office spaces 
So yeah. with all this happening, and who knows which way is going to win, because no one has that crystal ball. But right now, office towers are crumbling, for the lack of better description. Mm-hmm. And they're crumbling in mass waves. So how is that affecting you? Or is it affecting you at all? That specifically is not. I mean, because even with people letting go of some space, they're taking smaller spaces and they always need renovation, right? So it's um, there's always something to do. And my portion of projects is generally not like a whole space. We've got little pieces here and there. So we, we haven't seen a decline in the amount of projects being done Um And the design industry has always been kind of fortunate in that way, in that even when people are letting go of lease space, they're reworking current lease space to make it more efficient for the new way they're going to work. Or they're taking a smaller space and they need to renovate that to accommodate the things they are still going to do in the office. So the work hasn't dried up, but I would say this year the... um, people are spending money differently this year and they're not as willing to spend as much as they have in past years for sure. Um, That's really been our biggest challenge. I've never really had, um, we've never been an inexpensive type of business. So that's, that's one thing. Most people aren't coming to us because they, they need an inexpensive anything, but where budgets were higher before, they're definitely lower. And I've definitely had more people say, hmm, once they've gotten the cost on something, what can we do to bring this down? Or I need to think this over. I'm not sure we have that to spend. Um, so that's been something that's been a challenge for us this year that hasn't been in the past. And um, as recently as this morning in our Monday morning staff meeting, we were discussing some things that we looked into last week as potential uh, services we can offer on top of what we've always offered in a way to keep our revenue um, where it needs to be. So I think the office space hasn't gone away for us. Um, although I would bet that the developers and and landlords and owners of buildings would not agree with me on that for sure. Um, but our work inside of them has not gone away, but the budgets have. Right. So it's more of a cost of borrowing and the interest rates have affected you more than the uh, amount of space available. Yeah. And I think also just people are scared, you know, like, again, it's that fear base. They just don't know what's going to happen. And so they don't want to, like, let go of too much cash in case they need it. And that makes sense. Yeah, exactly. Well, with the industry you're in, I mean, I, I think everyone operates differently and have different kind of systems and stuff. So... And, and therefore, our day tends to look differently as well. Mm-hmm. So my question to you is, do you have some form of a system set up? And what does your normal daily schedule look like? Yeah, kind of. Um, to answer the first question, yeah, we kind of have a system. Um, my calendar stays very full. I'm pretty meeting-centric. But I do tend to batch them on certain days if I can. Um, I like to... I have accounting meetings on Mondays and staff meetings on Mondays and um, and things like that. On Tuesdays, I'm usually um, kind of handling any overflow from Monday that didn't get worked out, pricing exercises, um, inventory, and things like that. I like to leave my Wednesdays pretty flexible so that I can... Uh, 
well, I can just do whatever needs to be done because one of my other role, you know, I handle staffing and some other things too. So sometimes I need to meet with somebody and understand something that's going on for them. Like every, the team's personal personalities and their personal lives also affect mine. Um, so sometimes, you know, if they need something or we need to talk about a different schedule or whatever, um, Wednesdays are a good day to do that. And then we are a four day a week company for the full team, meaning Monday through Thursday, um, 10 hour days. And then on, so on Thursdays, that's usually kind of time, everybody wrapping up the week sort of thing. Fridays for me and Ford are still work days. Um, and it's one of my most productive days because no one else is here. <laughs> so paperwork and meetings um, with clients, they tend to happen a lot later in the week. We don't hear from clients very much early in the week because they're also busy. So um, even though we're technically closed air quotes on Friday, um, Fridays, Thursdays and Fridays is when I'm most likely to hear from a client or a new project or something like that. Interesting. And I guess that's make kind of makes sense. End of the week, everyone's planning's done. They kind of know where they want to go. They want yeah. to uh, get started, whether they want to get started on the weekend or want to get started first thing next week. Mm -hmm. They kind of uh, plan it out that way. So that kind of makes sense. I, I get that. Um, now, with that being said, with, um, yeah, okay. So you got that schedule. You got the four-day work week. Like, was it always intentional to be four days or is that something that kind of just developed that, that way? No, it wasn't. Um, and in fact, for a long time, I wasn't sure that we could um, because our clients aren't four days a week. Um, right. And so we do we do have a, an agreement with our team if, you know, sometimes that's not going to be the case. And if there's a project with a deadline that we've agreed to and we need to work the extra hours, of course, that's what we're going to do. Um, we're really meticulous with how we manage the time during the week. So, uh we don't have to work a lot of extra. They don't have to work a lot of extra. And um, we find that we, we do avoid it at all costs because honestly, a three-day weekend is a blessing for people. It gives people a day to run their errands, get their doctor's appointments done, all the things they'd normally have to take off for or try to cram in, you know, like on Saturdays, a lot of people have family stuff, like they're doing kids games, sports games and all that kind of stuff. And then on Sunday you can rest. So I think that three, that four work, three off really helps life balance for most people. And the kind of bonus for us, um, for Ford and I, sometimes we also take three days, but it gives us a day to regroup without everyone here and we can get some things done that are honestly a little hard to do when everyone else is here. It's, it is a fabrication shop at the end of the day. It is loud. My office is right. I'm not in my office, but it's right outside of the um, metalworking area. So focus is just a little rough sometimes. Um, but no, but it wasn't always a plan, but it is. How it worked it, out. Yeah. It has worked out so well. Now I got a stupid question. This is more of a personal uh, thought. Um, just based on what you said, because you said Fridays tend to end up picking up and end up being really busy, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. So why uh, is it Friday, Saturday, Sunday as a day off instead of, you know, Saturday, Sunday, Monday? Because you figure if Monday is not the day you're ramping up, wouldn't it be make yeah. more sense that people there on a Friday? Now, it's just a thought based on what you said. 
Yeah. Yeah. Well, Fridays are busy for me. They're not necessarily busy for the team. Um, gotcha. But, but to your point, it's not something we like, we have actually considered it many times, but it just kind of, I, I think our team just prefers to have that long weekend in that direction because some people's wives or our husbands have half day Fridays at other companies and things like that. So it's really more for them. Um, I, we, we live this no matter what. So yeah, I get it. It All right. So, yeah, yeah. So I get that. I get that totally. Now, which brings up another uh, question. So employee retention, mm -hmm. what's that been like for you? Employees and none specifically, but employees are the hardest part of work for me. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, and I, I joke all the time that I like want to go back to all my previous employers and apologize to them because I thought I was a great employee, but now I can see how everything that occurs in anyone's life affects the boss or whoever's, you know, like whoever's running the company for sure. And like all the days that I went in and was like, I'm not feeling that great today. I have a headache or, you know, whatever. Like, I just want to go back and be like, I... I'm so sorry that like I was not good enough. I was not good enough. Um, yeah. Employees are just hard because they're people <laughs> and that's the real reason. Like we are also individual, right? We, we all have different reactions to things. We all have different feelings. Everybody has a different family situation and all these things. And when you take all of these differences and you put them into a bowl and you create this thing that needs to have synergy and work together, the fact that it does is nothing short of miraculous, in my opinion. Um, we have an amazingly talented team, and I, I really enjoy everyone who works with us, and it's still hard. So um, keeping them, yeah, a big deal, a real big deal, because people who come and go are expensive, um, especially in a highly specialized business like ours, like framing carpenters, for instance, you can kind of learn that job reasonably quickly. And if people come and go, it's really easy to find more people to do that job. That is a skill that is easy to train and abundant. My people are not, um, they're not abundant. So we're particular about who we bring onto the team. Number one, um, they have to not only not only just have skills, but also have some key personality traits for their particular role. And they're different for different roles. But um, we've in our you know, we've had lots of people come and go in our um, in our industry because it is a skilled labor job. And like a lot of times if people um, get an opportunity to leave our metalworking department, for instance, and go work on a pipeline or something and the pay is higher and it's really standardized, it's easier. Uh, that's going to happen. And, you know, I can't, I can't ever hold anyone back from what they think they need to go do. But we've had a couple of key people that we've lost after a few years. One of them went back to school and another one's moving um, because his wife's career is taking them elsewhere. And those, man, you feel those. It's hard. And um, replacing those people is, it's just rough. So, holding on to people as much as we can. That's one of the, that's, you know, one of the reasons why we offer things like Fridays off, like some kind of life balance outside of just pay. Also, we right. are, we're as flexible as we can be while still running our business and allowing people to have a life. 
Makes sense. All right. In light of time, I'm going to have about three more questions and then okay. go into what I call the lightning round. All right. Oh. So, <laughs> and that was just, lightning round is just a little fun questions about you personally. Okay. All right. So the third question is, what would you say to someone who's looking for a new career path or getting out of university, not sure what they want to do? Um, they see this uh, interview and they take interest in what you do, but they're not sure where you know what to do about it what to inquire about what questions should they be asking how do they know whether it's right for them or not and what what should they do you know going forward man that's a great question i hope somebody sees this <laughs> <laughs> um i think one thing would be you're just getting out of university don't worry about the timeline of life um abandon the idea that you have to have this kind of job and make this kind of money and be married by this time and have a house by this time. All those things will happen if you want them to, but um, focus on doing the things now that you can do because you have freedom. So take a job doing like um, being like a shop assistant, learn the shop. Uh, if you can come in, you don't really need that much experience to be a shop assistant. You just, you do things like um, clean tools and runner tasks and things like that. But it is an amazing way to learn the business as a shop assistant. And, you know, then you can work your way up. Um, take opportunities. If you if you do get a position like that, take opportunities when somebody is like, hey, you want me to show you how to, I don't know, use this saw? Yes. The answer is yes. Um, take all those opportunities. There's a number, because we live in the age we live in, YouTube is abundant with information about um, woodworking and construction and metalworking and all of those sorts of things. So I would say absorb, watch and absorb as much as you can. Um, ask someone, like reach out to someone in a company you're interested in and tell them, I am interested in your company. I don't know, like, what would be best skill for me to learn for your company? Um, but, but I would say ask, you know, we ask people for things all the time. There's no shame in, we have mentors like our company. We've been in business a while, but we have mentors who've been in business longer than us. And, um, uh, and it happened because we asked, you know, we called somebody up and we we're like, Hey, um, is there any way our company could be beneficial to your company? Like, do you have too much work? Could we do some of it for you? And it didn't happen overnight, but, um, we got a lot of new information by going to these people who had been in the industry longer than us and it's been beneficial for us. So be curious, use your freedom to your advantage later in life. It will be harder, not impossible, but harder to take some of the, um, risks maybe isn't the right word, but you know, like you can take a, a job that doesn't pay a hundred thousand dollars a year right now. Do it, do it, have a few roommates, get the experience. You will be 10 times more valuable, um, in a much shorter time. Wow. Love that. That was great advice. I, yeah, I love that. That was really good advice. I, and in fact, I, I kind of agree with everything you said there you know, getting out of university is the perfect opportunity because you're at a such at a young age that even 
if you don't go in the direction you end up wanting to go, you have plenty of time yeah. to regroup and redirect. Yeah. Where if you do it later in life. Yeah, exactly. Love that. Um, and nobody really gets to where they want to. Nobody gets to the end zone at age 23. No, right? hopefully not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, that'd be pretty scary. But uh, <laughs> um, with that being said, next question, second last question. But it's still a very important question. How do you know you've had a successful day? Uh, let's see. For me, that would mean I did something that scared me. Yeah. I think that would, I did something that scared me. That's like, that's my thing in life is like, if I'm terrified of something, I need to do it. Um, I've swam with sharks. I've done all kinds of crazy things that are scary because I just can't let that be a driver. Um, so I feel really accomplished when I do something that scares me. Now in the business sense, that's obviously not swimming with sharks, at least not in my business. That's, uh, <laughs> um, last here, an example quickly. Um, Last week, I had to tell a client um, that we were not going to do the project. Um, we hadn't. We were in the early stages, like we hadn't taken deposit or anything like that. But it is a repeat client, a big, powerful client, and things were not going well. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll just leave it at that. And I was terrified to say what I needed to say because the person is a lot more powerful than me. Um, and when I got off the phone, I felt good, not bad. You know, like I rely a lot yeah. on gut and instinct, you know, like I am the very feeling driven person. Like, so when I got off the phone and I was like, how do I feel? Hmm, I feel good. Like that, that was the right move. I think that's when I know I've had a good day, even when it, even when the task itself isn't that great. Got it. Right. Last but not least, where do people look, you know, find you online? How do they reach out to you? We are in most of the places. Our website, fmwfablab.com, uh, Instagram at, at fmwfablab, Facebook, facebook.com backslash fmwfablab. Um, I believe we're, we are on LinkedIn too. We're not on TikTok. Um, only so many hours in the day, but all of those all of those places are options. Um, we have a few things. We have a, like a smaller sideline that's on Etsy that's called FMW Home, uh, and that's sort of like made to a pre-made to order kind of system. Um, yeah, those are all the places. Fantastic. Now, love that answer. Uh, thank you for that. Uh, let's get into the lightning round. Okay, let's do it. Okay, question number one is, what is your favorite food and why? Crab. And it's just delicious. <laughs> <laughs> Good reason. Uh, I'm from Louisiana. I love crab. Boiled crab, specifically. Gotcha. Favorite vacation spot? Literally just came back from Aruba last week. Unbelievable. But my favorite, favorite one is Thailand. Well, that's interesting. Um, 
Favorite podcast or book? Um, let's see. My most recent favorite book was Unreasonable Hospitality by Will, and I will butcher his last name. Um, I know which one you're talking about. Yeah. I literally just ordered that on Amazon. Loved that book. So good. So yeah, good. like I got my delivery today. I ordered it yesterday. Uh, yeah, you're going to love what it. What irony. <laughs> yeah, yeah, you're going to love it. I loved it. It was so good. A friend gave it to me as a gift, and I just devoured it. Um, my favorite podcast, um, We Can Do Hard Things, Glennon Doyle, is one I'm listening to right now a lot. Um, oh, gosh, I've got a bunch. I listen to all kinds of different random things. Behavior vets, because I have, like, crazy dogs and... Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but you know the week we can do hard things i think is is really great i love the guests that come on gotcha all right now last question again not least is if you had unlimited amount of money and you only mm -hmm. had 48 hours to spend it what you spend you get to keep what you don't gets taken away what will you do oh my goodness let's see unlimited amount of money i would buy an island and i would set it up to run nothing but 5013c's um with a particular emphasis on animal and um facility or services that provided for children and research too i have a niece um who has a spinal injury from an accident and um, I would love to set up some kind of research lab that could just do nothing but figure out um, how to make Cameron mobile again. Great answer. You know, and you get me batting at 100. And here's what I mean by that <laughs> is that uh, when you ask a person the typical question, what would you do with a million dollars? It's always, well, I'd buy a Ferrari or a Lamborghini or some stupid car. I'd pay off my mortgage and uh, whatever. And really, I find that's never a person's desire. And I don't mean that people don't want to pay off their mortgage or they want a fancy car. Yeah. That that, But that it's not their true inner desire, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. It's yeah. because a million dollars technically is so limited. They don't know how they can make a big impact with it. So they just go with the standard default nonsense that seems self-satisfactory. Yeah. Um, where if you add it, where you question it the way I did, and it gives the a person to really explore what they really want in life, right? And then you get yeah. the real answer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I guess like uh, at the end of the day, I would want to, I would want to make that money available to other people. Yeah, yeah, and that's what most people's desire is to help somebody in some way. Yeah. So yeah. love that. I want to say thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. This is fun. It's an absolute pleasure. I enjoyed it as well. Well, um, I have been listening to your podcast and I am enjoying it. And uh, so many of the things are just so relevant to questions I have. So well done. I, I really you. am enjoying it. I feel honored. If you like what you saw and you want to see some more, subscribe to the link below.